What is the validity? What is the reliability? Is it administratively feasible? Like, is, do I have access to the equipment that I can be using when I'm thinking about test selection? Good morning, everyone. This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. We are super excited to be bringing you another episode, a continuation of last time on assessment where I got to do an awesome, fantastic live episode at the California National APE Conference. Uh, this time we had Dr. LeVay, well we still had Dr. LeVay, Kathy Russell, Marcy Pope, and Dr. Lisa Silliman to talk about assessment. Um, this episode focuses on eligibility and ongoing data collection, and at the end we have some audience participation as well and they asked some really good questions. Uh, next episode, we're gonna have one more that's gonna be on audience participation. They had some really good questions. Dr. Lauren Lieberman, a past guest, uh, had us some questions as well, and um, get really into that. And they brought up some questions about the TGMD. I'm having an interview, phone interview tomorrow, with Dr. Dale Ulrich, who created the TGMD test, and he's gonna answer a little bit of questions about uh, how to use it properly, and also some differences between the TGMD and the TGMD3. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving break. I'm going to jump now from the eligibility. I'm going to go to test selection. How, how do you figure out what test is appropriate for each student? Um, I'll leave it open like that. So as an adapted physical education specialist, I look at the kid and their age. I look at the disability after having read through their file. I look through the referral form that gives me information about why the child was referred. And based on those things, and then if I've received back my parent survey, <laughs> then I will choose what test best is going to, to give me the information that I need for pulling together all that information. So I don't just have a set of tests that I always use. I really try to have a gamut of, of tests that I'm choosing from. So I don't have my go-to's. I have a whole list of ones that I'm trying to figure out which tests are appropriate for that kid based on all those pieces of information I just pulled together. This is a real pet peeve with me is that um, a lot of times, everybody that's an adapted physical educator would say, I love, you know, I'm all about meeting individual needs, but they only know how to administer two tests. And so everything that Marcy is saying is that you have to take it upon yourself to be a consumer and know all kinds of test instruments. And, and everything that Marcy was just saying is being proactive, is finding out as much as you can about that child before maybe you even walk in the gym you know, to start administering the assessment tool. Um, and then the other thing is, this gets into your philosophy. What does this kid need? Does this kid need fitness? I, I believe that uh, some of my philosophy might be a little bit biased, but I believe that tests are specific and in the sense that if I'm going to look at fitness, I'm going to look at the Brockport fitness test. If I'm going to look at fundamental motor skills, I'm going to look at the TGMD. But if this kid is 15 years old, I'm not going to administer, obviously, the TGMD. And so I'm not married to a test. There's some tests that I like better than others, but it really is about the kid. What do they need? And what do they need in the motor domain? What are their age groups? Where, where are they going? What... what um, 
does the team think you know is is happening with the with this child and so you've got to be constantly looking for new assessment instruments that are coming out there okay i'm gonna jump in real quick this is lisa <laughs> i just want to um it's so nice when they start talking first because then you can write all your ideas down uh i'd like to say that um test selection Support from the IEP team. Discussion with the parents first is something I really like to do when I was in the field. And communication with the parents and finding out what they're doing at home so you can reinforce that. So, you, so what? You may have to re go off and use a rubric and maybe go into um, uh, bowling or something or baseball or volleyball or badminton. And then there are tests that, that you can use for that. And then I always believe this, the second most important is the most appropriate test. So use the appropriate tests first based on their age-related peers. And so you start out and it's not working. So then maybe, then you go, maybe you have to go developmental. So, but I believe that the, the team and then the appropriate tests, and then what Marcy was saying, you, you need to understand a variety of tests. You just not need to know just the one test, the TGMD3. There's people out there that use the TGMD3 for 16-year-olds, they do. And I don't know why that's happening, but that's not a, probably a, a, an appropriate thing for us on our side of the house to be doing. So those are the main things is the team and the um, most appropriate test for that individual. I, I want to ask a question now about maybe resources with that. And because I think that what you just said, um, maybe not everyone knows that it's 3 to 10, right, for TGMD. So where does somebody go to stay relevant on those things, especially if they're like the only APE teacher in their whole district? Um, where do they go to find out about APE tests and, and, and things like validity and all that, which do matter, but then how, do they, how, do they, how does someone that's been in the field for 20 years figure that out? This is Marcy. And First of all, coming to a conference like this National Adaptive PE Conference we have going right here is one way, I think, is why people are sitting out here in this um, uh, audience, and all assessment sessions are always full. Um, and then staying connected with others in your field. We here in California have different, uh, we call them consortiums, little uh, pods throughout the state that people can get together and they're asking each other, so what tests are you using? Which ones do you have? Um, staying connected with um, uh, probably the universities that are putting out folks in the field in adaptive physical activity is a way you can stay current with ones because I know that there's folks who are using older versions of tests that are out there not necessarily aware that they're there. And I will also say that social media is pretty popular and um, I'm part of a couple national adapted physical education um, Facebook pages and Twitter um, what are they called Twitter conversations um, that these topics come up and if you go back and look through their past feeds you're gonna find out the answers to those questions because everybody's asking those same questions there's other a uh, couple resources. Shape America has a nice dialogue and forum. You can throw a question out there, and there's some blogging that goes on with that. Um, the other one, of course, is the State Council on Adapted Physical Education's website. Uh, any of the State Council members always field the questions, and if they don't have the answers, they go research it and come back. So uh, that's another great resource as well. One more I forgot to mention is here in California we have the Adapted Physical Education Guidelines that we spoke about and there's an appendix that has a list of many assessment tools that include what disabilities they're appropriate for, age groups they're appropriate for, and how to get in, 
a hold of the materials. So one of the things is that it's, it's up to you to be resourceful and to, to seek out instruments. So w one of the things I would share is the first thing is looking at an introduction to Adaptive P book. There are many intro books and you look at the chapter on assessment and they'll talk about some of the assessment instruments and trying to get the most current intro to Adaptive P book. Um, there are other texts that look specifically at assessment. You look at Horvat, uh, Block and Kelly's assessment textbook, Burton and Miller, they have an assessment textbook. They're both by Human Kinetics. Um, I think a really nice chapter, like Lisa was involved in Claudine Sherrill's textbook, and that chapter there looks at assessment. So you should be constantly seeking out um, resources and, and uh, advocating and trying to figure out, hey, where are these assessment instruments? But one thing we've sort of um, maybe just touched on briefly is that when you look at an instrument, sometimes somebody just gives you a Xerox copy of the, of the assessment instrument. And what is the validity? What is the reliability? Is it administratively feasible? Like, is, do I have access to the equipment that I can be using when I'm thinking about test selection? Um, all those things. And is it defensible? Does this, does this instrument have reliability? If I'm in a, uh, an IEP meeting and a lawyer would question this assessment instrument, is it defensible? You know, those are all other things we need to be thinking about when we um, select an assessment instrument. So, yeah, good job. Um, so, right, so test administration. So actually going in and, and, and being able to perform a test effectively and being able to look at a student and I think sometimes in APE uh, more than some other fields in special education ours is a little bit maybe not as cut and dry of like yes and no sometimes there's some gray areas so what are the competencies that we need to be effective at um, administering tests? Well you know I think a lot of people think okay I'm gonna administer this test that's just you know, one slight aspect of it. And so the first thing is being proactive and um, trying to learn as much as you can about this child. Then administering the test and the, the sophistication that goes into administering the test when you have a child that has inappropriate behaviors or you have a child that is not motivated, um, that, that's important. And then once you have in, 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 um, collected the data, how do, you in, how do you interpret the data? And how do you interpret it so that you're making decisions that are, uh, that are based on the needs and, uh, of, of this child? And then even after you've done all that, how do you take that and write it into a report that a parent can understand, that you're, the, the other people that are uh, collaborating with you, so you're not using all kinds of jargon that people don't understand, and then how do you present it at an IEP meeting um, so that it's, um, everybody at the meeting can understand it and, and in a way that's, um, as well as defensible, depending on what's going on at that IEP meeting. So I, I, there's all these aspects uh, to, it's not just administering the test. You know, there's just all these aspects. It's Lisa here. I think foundations is my word for the day. Um, as an APE teacher, we, make, we need to have that foundation of understanding the motor skills. Can you demonstrate these skills? Do you understand the, the components of every single skill that we are demonstrating for our students. And if you don't, 
then we need to become aware of that and understand that and learn those skills. And if not, and if you can't do them, have a peer demonstrate that so that the student that you're assessing can see that model and that, that nice demonstration of the skill. And if you, you do have, we do have students with behavioral problems and that is a um, struggle for many people. So the, some successful techniques would be to make sure the paraeducators with you because they're the ones that w are with that student all day long and to gather that information, have them with you to get that. Because sometimes you go assess a student and behavior is, is impacting on the, the, the data that you're trying to collect and so you're not gonna get um, solid data. And, this is, and then you're gonna go make placement decisions. Well, we can't do that. You may have to just go to that IEP meeting and just say, you know what, I didn't get enough data to make this placement. So I need more time because of the impact of the behavior of the students. So that, those things happen and that's just reality. So that's why it's important, hopefully, that we're notified before, not the day before, that you can gather that information um, and get some nice, solid data. And the last thing is that we really need to understand the disability. So if we're getting some type of unique syndrome out there that we've never heard of, but we think we know what it is, and we really need to make sure that we, like we really have time, we don't have a lot of time, I know we don't, we run around, you have 80 children, 50 schools, but we need to find out what that child's disability is and understand it, so we know some indicated and contraindicated activities that we're, you know, so safety is number one for sure. Thank you, Barry. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Lisa on that piece. In fact, that was what I was just writing in my notes, was the ideology of d the disability. Because oftentimes you're in a classroom and it may be you've now got a student that's visually impaired that you've never had a visually impaired student. And so you need to do the research and, and to support that to understand or uh, you, know, you have an orthopedic student that you're, you're not as familiar with or some of these wacky syndromes that we get. And so you're absolutely right. You need to, to do your research and find out so you aren't doing anything that's contraindicated, but also that you can talk about it at your IEP because you need to be able to say when you're doing the assessment and part of your report is, um, because of this, they will be able to do this or they won't. So you have to have a really good foundation, not only on motor development, but biomechanics and, and that etiology piece so that you can um, give a, a, a very clear picture as to what this child can uh, do and will be able to do. I'm going to add um, that the administration of the assessment is so much more than just giving the test. And I do believe that you should be familiar with the test that you're giving and you should know uh, if there's a specific order or not that that should happen. You should know what specific equipment should go with that. Um, that you should be very familiar with the test. But even more so than that, you need to go beyond the test and make sure you're doing some type of parent survey, some type of teacher survey, that you're going out and doing observation, possibly at recess if they're elementary, and seeing them in their elementary uh, or their physical education class so that you know why you receive this referral and you have the whole piece and part of everything. So it's more than just doing a couple of tests, it's also collecting that other information. So I think, I, I feel like we're kind of talking and we need to finish up soon because I want to give a few minutes for the audience if they want some questions. But um, I think we're kind of talking a lot about standardized tests and I think that it feels that way. I know we're not maybe specifically saying that the tests that we're using, you know, for the big picture. But what about ongoing assessment? And I think that APE teachers especially were so hands-on is I frequently do not see data collection when I've gone into APE classes. And I don't blame the APE teacher. I, I blame 
kind of our context, but how do we effectively do that? Because I think that is another way for us to show our importance. So a couple of years ago at this conference, there was a presentation with Joyce, and I, I'm not going to mess up her last name, but she, she did a beautiful presentation on data collection for AP teachers on the iPad. So that's important that we, data is really important, of course, and keep collecting that data is really important for that student so you can, over time, have a really nice portfolio of that student for their future, and that helps you with assessments uh, as well. So that's all I really wanted to say is that there there are programs out there, and I know that the one that Joyce had here was just fantastic. If you don't have it, she's willing to share, and that's a really good source of or data to use as a template for collecting information. I, I think, you know, when we're talking about a couple of things here, informal assessment, testing is teaching, teaching is testing. Uh, is your assessment authentic? Is it occurring in a natural environment? You know, one of the things, criticisms of going out and doing a standardized test is that you're collecting data on one particular day and finding out about that child on that particular day. And some of it could be very artificial as opposed to really getting to know the child. That's not always realistic to do that. So um, we're, we're talking about knowledge. One of the things that you really have to know is motor development development. You have to know developmental milestones, especially when we're talking about um, the kids that you're going to be informally assessing most likely are your more severely disabled kids. You need to know sensory. You need to know reflexes. And you need to, many times, know a standardized test is not going to work with them, and so that's why understanding developmental milestones, developing rubrics, and I know Kathy would like to jump in here because she was involved with the CARE R and, and, and talk about this, but I'm not going to give her the mic yet. No, just I, I think you know developing rubrics, and you can put those you can put those rubrics on your uh, on your website uh, on your tablet. You know, is important. <laughs> Thanks, Barry. <laughs> um, actually, the point that I was going to talk about was, was kind of getting back to what Scott was saying about ongoing assessment and the need for that, because that really is how you're making sure those benchmarks on your IEPs are being met. And you have to have a way to, to, to qualify that and quantify that, because um, to say, well, yeah, they're kind of meeting that goal or they're kind of doing this, or yeah, they did it one day and it was fine, it really is not defensible. And, and so you have to have that data to show, well, how many out of how many times have they done it? Where is the data to show that they're making progress? Because technically, legally, if they're not making progress on those benchmarks, then we have to hold another IEP meeting and rewrite those goals and objectives. So you have to be monitoring that assessment and doing it on, on a regular basis. And you should be keeping good records. And there are lots of uh, tablet resources. Um, I was horrible at paperwork. That was, that was the one thing that, that, as an adaptive PE teacher, I, I preferred working with kids and doing paperwork. Um, but it was one of those things that you had to know your kids, because you had to know had they been able to do that. If I was called in for a due processing, I needed to be able to defend whether or not that student was, was able in making progress. And if they weren't, then I needed to go ahead and adjust my goals and objectives. So when I'm out in the field, this is Marcy, doing adaptive physical education, I am uh, always trying to figure out how to collect this stuff as I'm getting in the car to zoom to my next school the minute after I finished my last session. So I um, 
created some Google Forms and it helps me be able to um, just quickly get the information out of my head and onto a spreadsheet for each kiddo. And then um, I also videotape often so that if I'm at an IEP, I can do a quick snippet and the parent just loves to see what their kid is doing with me instead of just hearing the words. And um, so both of those are pieces that allow me to keep track of how the child is doing towards their goals, plus all the other cool things that we do together um, as we're working on our adapted physical education. I, I have a, a something that I've observed recently, and I'm all about technology. I'm sure a lot of you use technology. How many of you use technology um, for behavior management reasons? Raise your hands. Okay. Some of you. How many of you use it for data collection? How many of you use it for motivation, like music and such? Okay. So what I've noticed, though, is that usually you have one tablet, and you're only able to, to you're using it for all those things. And if you're in one session, really you can only use it for one of those things at a time. And I think when we say technology, sometimes I get afraid, and I've just observed this recently, that if we're using it for behavior, it's hard. we can't really take data while we're using it for behavior. So I wonder, other than just technology, what are some other ways that we can take that ongoing data collection um, when we're so busy and we're already using the technology in that way? And I, I ask that just because I've seen it and they're, they're using it for other reasons. They don't have time to use it for data collection. Well, usually if there's a behavior uh, plan, behavior support plan uh, that involves something that uses technology, the student will have that device and will be bringing it out. So you really won't be needing to use your own personal one for that piece, or you shouldn't be if it's in the support plan. Um, I know some teachers are, are real good about giving their phones because they know that calms the kid, and, and I highly discourage that because um, it's a great way to have your cell phone broken when it gets <laughs> flung uh, everywhere. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as, as note-taking for me, I, you know, I would go back... Um, to my car, and I had a had the copies of the uh, IEP goals, and I just jot some notes on them as to how they were doing on progress before I went to my next site. So that was one way that I did it that was untechy. Um, but the the having a para out there with your iPad videotaping it, um, particularly for those of us that are a little bit more veteran, um, is a really great way to remember exactly what I saw and what I did and what the student was able to do, as well as to present that at an IEP. When I was in the field, I know this is a word you probably haven't heard some of the youngsters out there. I used a tape recorder, a little small one. But I would teach my lesson, and as soon as I was done, because we were just starting to get into a little bit more lawsuits, just a little bit, I was able to participate in one of those. That was fun. And because I had my tape recorder, and I recorded immediately after the class, and just as I was driving in my car, exactly what happened, that was extremely helpful, and it helped me out a lot. So I didn't get it on the spot, but it certainly, you get that information out right away. So I'm sure there, there's apps now, there are apps that you can record quite quickly, but that's the way that I was able to be successful in that area. Okay. Um, I am now going to uh, open the floor. If, if nobody has questions, I have whole bunch of other ones but I really want to see what you all think so does anyone have any and Brittany if you does anyone have any questions I'm Brittany's gonna bring over a mic to you and we'll just share we'll just share one now hi I'm Joni Vertiber and I'm now retired but spent 40 years with the LA County Office of Education adapted physical education for 28 years 
and administration for the rest. Worked on the original guidelines for California and the revised guidelines for California. And just a couple of comments that I'd like to make so or clarifications that when we talk about special education, we're really talking about what was referred to at the federal level, one of the 14 disabilities. I think we all need to remember that just because a student has a disability, it doesn't mean they're enrolled in special education. So you can have a student who's severely involved with cerebral palsy and be in the general education program. So just a little clarification or caution when we talk about eligible for special education, that adapted physical education may be that service which would be physical education. The next thing is I like to kind of bridge what Barry was talking about, a free appropriate public, um, public education FAPE, and then bridge to what Lisa talked about that Texas doesn't have such and such you know, credential. Well, I think the thing that we need to remember is the least restrictive environment. In every state and in, every, in California, every district, we need to identify what that least restrictive environment is. So there can be, with guidelines, what we tried to say for California was, the person providing the services for the need is the best qualified person to do that. So there may be motor needs that are identified in a special education class for a child who has Down syndrome, but perhaps the best person to provide that is a special day class teacher. So having those kinds of thoughts, and I think then that bridges really what Lisa was talking about in Texas is we can do the consultant model or the physical education teacher can do it. So I think if we look back at the federal, um, the, the law, and, and not call it guidelines, but it's codes and regulations that that's what's going to guide us with really identifying what students need. You gonna grill them? Hi, I'm Beth Foster. Whoa, a little loud on the mic. Don't need it. Um, I stepped out for a short amount of time, so I do apologize if you did cover this. I might have missed it. But I think one thing about assessment that we don't talk enough about is our own teaching and using assessment to see if our teaching practices and our teaching strategies are actually working. So I would just like to address that question to the panel in two different forms. One, as coming from a higher ed professor now, what's the best ideas to give future physical educators and adaptive physical educators um, the passion to use assessment to check their own teaching and how to provide that? And then also to current um, adaptive physical educators and physical educators on that piece of how can we use that assessment to continue to grow our field and to make it aware that we're more than just um, physical skills, that we're actually changing people's lives. So, Beth, the first part of the question uh, I think is a really good one because we, we talked about when you look at the purpose of assessment, uh, most people think of placement programming, but also there's some other reasons to motivate a child to evaluate is your program working and is it working with that child so that's a really good point so that's um, one of the things that I would 
share is, is that that's why rubrics are so important and and always like when you're developing a lesson plan are you checking for understanding and you could be doing that informally um, and that really gets into those kids that are really challenging to to assess like the more severely disabled uh, children and so rubrics checklists and I, is I see Lauren Lieberman's out here like she's done, did strategies for inclusion that second half of that book provides all these different rubrics so you don't have to reinvent the wheel but she I would say um, a short answer would be that those people that that aren't checking for understanding or aren't evaluating their program, they can by developing rubrics and seeing are, are the children um, that they're working with, are they meeting those, those goals, those benchmarks? And that's, you can do that on your tablet. And, and we, we talked a little bit about, about that and how important that is. And if you're really in the initial stages of, um, as a teacher, then you could video short segments of your on a tablet of your teaching and go back and say, hey, are my kids getting this? Are they understanding that? And I really stress that with my students in my program when they're in the initial stages of assessing kids, videotape it and look at it. Also, one of the things that I used to do when I was the coordinator uh, for my adaptive PE teachers and would go out and observe them is I would do just what Barry said, is I would do a, a little videotaping of their lesson. And then when we sat down to talk about how they thought the lesson went and how they thought they were doing, um, we would take a look at it and have them uh, tell me what they saw. Um, one very key thing was um, I had one time an adaptive PE teacher that was teaching two students who happened to be um, deaf and uh, she had them facing the sun, which, you know, she knew better, um, but it wasn't until she saw the video and saw what she was doing that she realized that that was one little area that she could, she could make an improvement on her own teaching style and, and, uh, and, and was able to do it. So I think those videotaping things, having a pair, like Barry said, somebody to do it, that you can go back and look at it and say, oh, yeah, no, I, I really wasn't positioned right here, or they really weren't paying attention, or, you know, there's something that was a little bit off. It's just that own um, professional development and self, um, uh, you know, uh, self-reflection. Yeah, self-reflection. Thank you. Losing words on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Mrs. Lisa, one thing to add, Beth, to your physical education and preparation of general physical educators. Uh, as you know, we you taught the course uh, not to general physical educators. We have that now. We have 17 in there. So our main goal for them, so they have an understanding of assessment, because they're all wanting to be coaches and physical education teachers, is we really are pushing the more the practical experience right now and exposing them to settings with children with a variety of disabilities. For example, at TCU, they have a program with 30 children with Down syndrome and the children with um, ADHD. So they're understand, and they're watching the teacher there uh, with doing assessments. So they understand the importance of it to each as they grow. And so we're, I think that's really important is getting our PEAT programs, getting those students out in the field and in inclusionary settings so they understand it. And agree with Barry with the rubrics and using um, Lauren's book and that we push that as well so they understand that it doesn't have to be so standardized and if they understand just again the foundation of this it helps them understand as teachers they're going to have to gather information on our students to help them better their skills in the programs so does that help with your question the first part yeah 
All right, everyone, that's going to be the end of this episode. Remember to stay tuned for next time on our last piece with assessment, audience participation, and Dr. Dale Ulrich to talk about the TGMD. Take care, and I hope everyone is enjoying uh, the festivities, getting ready for the holidays, and take care, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.